Intersections, our very first episode. We did it. We did it. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> We've been telling everybody we knew and even people we didn't know for like the last six months. Yeah, we got a podcast. We're a podcast <laughs> hosts and we had nothing to show for it for the longest time. But finally, we have proof. Here it is. Episode one. This episode is a conversation with two talented creatives that we get to call friends, Janie Pakpahan and Larnie Palak. This is a wide-ranging conversation that we're excited to share with you. So without further ado, let's jump right into Janie and Larnie answering the question, what intersections do you embody? Enjoy. Subscribe. Subscribe. My name is Larnie Palak, um, and intersections, I feel like it's such a so much, so many intersections in my life, but I guess that I am a woman, I am heterosexual, I'm Filipino, I'm an immigrant, I'm American, I am a college graduate, and a business owner. I have educated parents, I was in an interracial marriage, and I am also divorced, and that's a crazy word, um, and I'm also an artist. So those are just the f- first few intersections that I feel like jumped in front of me real quick. Okay, well, there's tons to talk about there. Yeah. Um, and we'll come back to a number For of sure. those points you mentioned. Janie. I think a lot of the intersections um, Larnie and I share, um, just to name a few that um, embody me, um, is that I'm a woman, I'm heterosexual. I'm college educated. Um, I was born in the States. I'm also proudly Indonesian. I was raised by my whole family after the loss of my mother. Um, I was raised in the church. I'm a nurse. I'm a small business owner. I'm bilingual. So is Larnie. Um, And yeah, just to name a few. So as Austin said, we know you from times past but more recently our relationship got kindled because you guys were our photographers. Um, And as we kind of dive into your intersections, I think one of the interesting things that you both experienced is becoming creatives. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and what that was like for you as Asian American women? Wow, that's a very long I have a very long answer for that um I think a part of me I've always been an artist um I think I just was curious about that world um but I didn't have the means um to kind of dive into it as deep as I should have um in high school or even in middle school um I think my path was predestined um as an Asian American as a first gen um to be in the medical field something with stability um, somewhere where I would have a decent paycheck. And so, um, yeah, I think I, a part of me thought that I would be an art curator. I don't know why that comes up. Um, I've always been fascinated with history and art. When you say a part of you thought you would be, like mm-hmm. what, what age were you when that idea was bouncing around your head? Um, I was in the 10th grade. And... I had mentioned it to my father, to my aunts and uncles, and it was it was a joke. It wasn't something that would make my family proud. Um, and I think when I felt that, it was like, okay, maybe art isn't for me. Maybe I can't make my family proud by being an artist. And again, there was no time to discover anything else because my path was destined to be in the medical field. Um, and a lot of my aunt and uncle encouraged me to... Uh, go into that field saying, you know, when you're done and you have your own money, you can do whatever you want. So it's exactly what I did. Um, and a lot of our friendship, Larnie and I, was us going to the thrift store, getting a camera, taking pictures of each other, thinking we're photographers, you know. Um, and moving forward, when I finished nursing and I got my first big real paycheck, I bought a camera, um, played around with it. Um, and that's really, I mean... How far should I go? Yeah, no, you know what's interesting that you bring 
you know, this idea of you always feeling like you're an artist. Like, so Mm -hmm. going back to our history, Jenny Mm -hmm. is one of my longest friends. Like (laughs) we go back to the womb. Our moms were really close. Um, And it just made me think like we didn't have conversations about art. Definitely not. We didn't like our our conversations growing up had nothing to do about what it meant to be a creative. Mm. It was just like, what nursing program are you going into? Right. Or what? Yeah. Like. We right. never got to explore that. Right. That's interesting that you bring that up. And I had no idea you felt yeah. that in high school. Yeah. Um, it was it was like this burning sensation of like, I don't know if sensation is the right word, but it's like this itch that I really wanted to scratch. I wanted to. I was curious. But I didn't know like there were communities out there that would help me, that would guide me, that would um, teach me the art of photography, the eye, whatever, the creative part of me. And I just... It dissipated. It died, you know, for a while. And I think having my own money and using that as an excuse to be able to do whatever I wanted Mm. helped me uncover that, to light that fire up a little bit more. Um, And that's really how it started. I mean, officially, I feel like I can say that I've been a photographer for seven years. Um, As soon as I bought my first camera, I was taking pictures of anybody, um, trying to figure out what I liked, what I didn't like, you know. Um, Should I go into, like, my mentorship? Okay, so you you made a move into, like, exploring your creative side that you always knew was there, but you didn't go that route in college. Like, you you took the route of nursing. What was that, like... What what was the pressure put on you? How did that feel? Like, why, why did you end up choosing nursing, even though you felt like you were... Oh, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Sure, but, sure, um, sure. What, I get what you're saying. Did you feel like you were being inauthentic to yourself or, or not honoring the creative side of yourself? Was I think like? when I was going through school, it wasn't like I was being inauthentic because a part of me always felt like it is my responsibility to, take my, to make my family proud. So it wasn't necessarily like, oh, this is so terrible. I don't want to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. I saw an opportunity. I was accepted um, in the nursing program. And I was like, this is my path. I didn't I wasn't thinking about something that I had let go of in high school. Mm -hmm. I was literally thinking, this is what I need to do to make my family financially stable. Mm -hmm. This is what I need to do, support my family. And that's why I did it. And I've used a lot of my nursing skills actually to roll over into photography. Um, you know, my compassion, time management, you know, it's, yeah. it's like there, a lot of the things I did as a nurse help me become a small business owner. Um, so I do have some gratitude. I mean, I have a lot of gratitude towards that career. Um, and I'm grateful that I did it. I'm grateful that my family pressured me, maybe pressured is a heavy word, but I think it's pretty accurate. Accurate. <laughs> Pressured me to become a nurse um, because now I have time to fuel my passion. I I think, um, yeah, you speak to just growing up in an Asian community, Indonesian mm-hmm. in particular, mm-hmm. where, you know, your career is not about your passions or what you're trying to do for yourself. Mm. The question you ask is, is this going to provide for my family? Definitely. Am I going to have something secure so that I can offer this to my family? Larnie, did you go through something similar? Because I know that you have a background in nursing. Tell us about your journey. Um, I think mine, it's crazy because the sense of creativity, I to me, in my community back home in the Philippines before I came here, is totally absent. Mm. There, that, that's non-existent almost, that people make money or choose that as a path for the future to be an artist because at the end of the day, you know, in the Philippines, it's a third world country and everybody is just trying to survive, at least what I was around. So being an artist is not, was not even in my radar. Like it wasn't even, it's not even a thing. I did not meet anybody that was an artist at any, in any like medium, like I, ne- I didn't meet a painter. I've never met anybody when I was a kid that did art for a living. For a living. So yeah, for a living. And, or even like as an adult that they did that as a hobby because in the Philippines, who has time for hobbies? Mm. 
You know, nobody has time for that. If it, you know, especially where I came from, the town that I came from is that if you just so happen to have gone to college and grew up, you you know, you duck down, you get working and you go there to to help your parents out mm -hmm. and maybe put your younger siblings to school. So even in my family, that wasn't a thing. Um, but it's so crazy because ever since I was young, I always felt like the oddball because I wasn't academically at the top of my class. But I loved to sing, mm -hmm. you know. There are there were just so many things that I was like, this is what I love to do, but it, nobody likes it mm -hmm. or nobody appreciates it or nobody puts an award on it, mm -hmm. you know, like singing or um, I love one thing that I remember vividly is that when I was a kid and I didn't know how to write yet, I didn't learn how to write yet, I would just sit down and scribble, pretend that I could write mm. and just scribble and scribble. And my parents are like, what is she doing in the corner? Mm -hmm. And I was just pretending to write something and I would be saying what I think I'm writing, but it's literally just scribbles. And like you look at a page and it, they're marks that are not even letters. Mm. And so when I came here and kind of like, obviously this beautiful opportunity of being an immigrant, you come to the United States and your world almost like opens, you know, and you don't know the label of things, but mm. the feelings are there. So like, I think growing up, I came to America in such a beautiful age to where I still remember my life there and how much of it was all about survival for my family. And what I saw, which is what I learned, which is what I thought and what mm -hmm. I believed is that we just need to survive, mm -hmm. you know. And as a kid, you don't it, the, the pressure is not there yet because my parents I feel like I'm not talking about the right things. Am I talking about You're the right talking things? about the right things. OK, but I, yeah, I guess what it is, is that I think the feeling of artistry and this is I believe this to the core of me is that we are all artists at one point mm. I, no not even we are all still artists mm. um but at one point we were either told that that we don't do that you can't do that mm. and you know to me art is self-expression and we all have the means to mm. express either in words in writing mm. in photography painting music and anything so when it when i came here then there was a label then there's a career path that you can be like, oh, I can be a photographer. But even then, do you have a question? Well, so what Sorry. What part of this is making me think of is just like the conversation we were having yesterday where mm -hmm. you were telling us 7 a.m. in the Philippines, mm -hmm. people are karaoke Yes. 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. And so like, while you didn't see the path of being an artist for a living modeled, mm -hmm. like all around you was creativity finding yeah. its outlets, yes. even though it wasn't like in a formal yeah. way or a way that was or um, in a box being rewarded. Yes. Right. Or even labeled like th that. That's a great example. Like I, I grew up in a family that loves to sing. Mm -hmm. Right. And, th but that's the thing is that is it a safe assumption if you're Filipino, you have a, <laughs> I mean, I machine. think so. Honestly, I have never, I don't know. I don't want to like generalize, but, but yo, yes. Yeah. Like, you know, potlucks and karaoke. Yeah, that is true. the combination of that's a Filipino I, party. That's what I yes. knew, a Filipino party. Yes, yes. And so it's like, like music is self-expression. It's art that we enjoy as Filipinos, you know cooking is even one mm, we love to yes. like we love That's to to true. love our family and to show them how we feel towards them by feet so just all these things and i feel like um i didn't it's just coming to america i saw people that chose that and it showed me that that was a choice mm. because i truly believe now you know growing up being 31 years old is that it's hard to dream of something that you've never seen before mm. and or even and not even just see but like almost touch mm -hmm. like a like like a one first degree touch like yeah. if you have a person in your family that is not a nurse you're like what yeah. you're yes. not a nurse 
You're a PT? Yeah, yeah. You know, you can take that right. route right. and be different. Right. And so, like, and you know, and I obviously, you know, like, that is a learned thing. Like, it's a habit. It's embedded in mm-hmm. me that survival is mm-hmm. the utmost goal. And so, like, I did the nursing thing, even though I felt... I wrote here in my notes, I felt mediocre. Mm. It never jumped onto me, did not make me feel alive. Yeah. It just made me feel like, oh, I, this is what I'm supposed yeah. to do. I, I'm i loving that this conversation went here because uh-huh. what I'm thinking of as you brought the Philippines and I'm thinking of other Asian countries like Thailand. We just went to Thailand mm-hmm. in December and it is such a vibrant place full of art full of creativity indonesia like you can go to bali you can go to the village and you can see like intentionality of art and i think as um one of my intersections is i'm indonesian american Mm -hmm. and something that i think about when i think of art in asian americans as they are you know products of immigrants children of immigrants coming to america we're told that we also have to keep surviving in this country. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that survival is is the model minority myth, which is a form of opp- oppression almost. Like mm-hmm. we have been socialized to be the quote unquote good minorities. Like we become the nurses, we become the doctors, we become the lawyers, but we're not the creative thinkers. Mm-hmm. We're not the artists, we're not the musicians because we've been also pushed into this box that we're smart and we know how to do math and science, but we don't draw pictures or take pictures or write poetry. And I think all of that is, is by and large, the model minority myth. And I think your voices, I don't know who will be listening to this, but I think you're going to strike a chord with so many Asian Americans, Asian Pacific Islanders, that want to push against that because I be- I agree. Like I think we're we are we are all artists in our own ways, mm-hmm. and to kind of pull back the layers and layers and layers of the model minority myth is going to be something very powerful that you guys are speaking to. Um, what would you? What would you tell someone who is growing up in a family that's been told to be a nurse or to be a doctor or kind of follow? Actually, this is, um, I actually get a lot of questions from younger generations about how they can step away from that um, expectation. Um, And I feel like what it is is finding your community that will help you discover that because I think that's what I was lacking. I think I went to church. I hung out with church friends who all had the same um, expectation from their family, um, my, my school friends. I didn't have a community that can tell me like, hey, try this, do this. You might like this. Um, and so I, I think now we have so many avenues that you can literally Google, you know, anything. Um, and so I would say Finding that community find is, your tribe. yeah, finding the tribe that will help you discover that. I mean, I think for a long time I was, you know, in in a place where, you know, I was in a box. I was labeled. I it was weird to step out of the box. I was afraid to, and so I took these little steps and I got resistance from friends and family, um, but it felt good for me. It was like I I needed to like do something, do something different. Um, and every step that I did to get closer to my goal as an artist felt freeing. Um, and so I feel like if somebody is wanting to step out of that, it's like, yeah, find that community, take those steps, um, swim to the top, you know, do the things that make you feel uncomfortable. On top of, of, it's to me it's very important to choose your community because you can choose Mm -hmm. which is a beautiful thing that we have as humans we can choose but I think also too I think one thing that I've learned is to also understand why your parents are pressuring Mm -hmm. it sounds so weird but I feel like I feel like 
you know, what you're avoiding controls you, right? So if you're avoiding... I'll tell you this quote I just heard recently. What The what? demons you don't face mm, yes. go into the cellar of your soul yes. and lift weights. They don't just hang out down there. They get stronger. Yeah, I, I, and, and it's crazy because like now, when I was thinking about how I could not only physically not escape, because I don't want to say that word. I didn't, because I, I am proud of the journey that I went through, and I am proud of the journeys that whoever these messages will get to, you know, they're going through a journey, and I'm already proud for them. But at the same time, too, like, understanding and forgiving our families for these these expectations that they put on us, I, to me, is the first step to freedom, is the first step to, like, I'm going to choose because now I understand why my parents want me to survive because this is embedded, you know what I mean? One of the first things that I realized in counseling that kind of helped me heal in my relationships with both of my parents um, was this, like, recognizing that they came as immigrants Mm -hmm. and they were raising children in a foreign country in a country that didn't even know how to pronounce their names. And so what they were trying to instill in my sisters and me was just like, we want to make sure you're okay, boo-boo, in this country. Like, we just want to make sure that you're taken care of. And I I think growing up, um, being born in California and having my American identity and also my Indonesian identity clashing, I didn't understand that. And it took me counseling to recognize, like, oh, I'm holding a lot of resentment towards my parents, but my parents legit were just trying to watch out for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're, you know, they're... I'm sorry. No, no, go for it. And they're... I'm sorry. No. Um, they're just... They just don't want us to... Literally, I had a conversation with my mom a few days ago. We were in urgent care, and this woman, my mother, told me she hated being a nurse. And I don't want to start crying... Because she's seven years old. Let it out, girl. We safe. It's safe here. It's safe. You know, she's seven years old, and she went through a whole life not doing what she, you know, what would have made her happy. And I was telling Jenny, just so grateful for that sacrifice that. Because at the end of the day, if my mom wasn't a nurse and we came to America and she wasn't a nurse, we would be struggling even more in the start. And so, you know, when she told me that, it broke my heart. But then I just grew so much more gratitude towards my parents because they don't have this freedom of exploring, you know, as artists and exploring the world, you know, what they like, what they don't like, because what they had to do is they had to be these people so that me and my sisters could be nurses or be whoever we want to be, you know. And and I feel like every generation has a role into finding a bigger way to be free for the next Mm. group of people to come. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm crying. I didn't think I was going to cry. Girl, we safe here. But yeah, I feel like as an artist, that's definitely where I started. I it it didn't start through me. It started through people making way for other things to be discovered within myself. Like the culmination of of those sacri- yeah. like those sacrifices that were made by ancestors are now culminating in like artistic expression in you. Yeah, because my grandparents didn't finish college. They were f- they finished 4th grade and then the next generation, my parents finished college. And so there's this new freedom again. There's this an, a wider set of 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 opportunities and then they came here and now I have a a more even bigger opportunity to do something yeah and you know each to me each it's nobody's fault and I think we I have to remember that for myself and to carry love for my parents because they took a huge Pacific Ocean leap you know that's a huge it's not a leap that's a 
<laughs> some of the, I mean, the sacrifices that that the previous generations make leave us with wounds. And it, so Linda and I, um, we've we've gone and done the sensory deprivation tank, the float tank mm-hmm. thing, a couple of times, mm-hmm. and we each have really different experiences each time. Um, I'm kind of more just like a body person and imaginative. And so when Linda and I first did it, uh, I just had this experience where I was like going on a mental journey. Like I felt like I was like floating through space and I was having these weird visualizations. Yeah, just like kind of a psychedelic experience in this float tank. And, you know, it was super restful. I came out feeling like a jellyfish, like never been more relaxed in my life. Really cool. Would definitely recommend it. And I I looked at Linda and I just saw in her eyes like, oh, she had a different experience than I did. Because she, while I was having this floating through space journey, she was having this emotional journey where she, mm-hmm. she like, you tell it rather, but it, that's what it made me yeah. think of. Yeah, I, it was really powerful. I, I, I was feeling, I was first, I was nervous about it, but in the deprivation tank, so what happens is the water that you're in and like the environment, they're all the same temperature, so your body deregulates. And I felt like I was in my mother's womb. Mm. And I just, all of these things started to like flood my mind with me and my mother's womb. And the, the faces that I saw were like, was the agony in my mother, mm. like giving birth to me in a place that's not her home. Oh, shoot, oh, yes. And the face of my dad not having the security of knowing how to raise me. And so I just felt this overwhelming sense of gratitude, like, yo, my parents are G's. Like, they straight up gangster. Like, I was like, I had this profound sense of oneness with my parents because now I saw them in a different light. Like, they had to do something incredible so that I could have the life that I have. And I love the way that you put it. I actually wrote it down, creating a way for other generations to be freer. Like that is so profound, and I think what you guys do, you guys are doing that mm. for people that are looking up to you now and looking to, to the work that you do. Um, and yeah, this man, I got goosebumps just talking about this. Um, Jenny, tell us about your experience with that um, in terms of you, your your pushback and also like your gratitude for your family and the ways that you were raised because you have an interesting story. No. Tell us. I'm not crying today. Yeah, you are. Larnie <laughs> took all the tears away from me. Um, I'm already feeling really emotional because a lot of these topics are topics that Larnie and I talk about often. Um, I think I just recently started thinking about my dad's sacrifice, my grandparents' sacrifice, because it seems distant, because they don't talk about their journey. Mm. This is something that we have to think about. We're literally, what, in high school in our own our own mind, trying to fit in, trying to be American, trying to be, you know, accepted. We're not thinking about our parents working from seven to 11, five days a week. I'm not, I'm really not. That's just, that's just me being honest. Um, and even in high school, I, was mad at my dad for not coming to basketball games, for not being president in church activities, for giving me $5 instead of all my friends getting 20s and 50s. Like, there was, like, this anger towards him. Like, you're not being a good dad. Like, I think when I, there was a turning point in me when I learned what love languages were. Mm-hmm. Um, Larnie and I had volunteered um, in Indian reservations, and we met. I met a nurse, I don't think you came that time, but I met a nurse who talked to me about love languages. And she went through every every topic with me and I literally was overwhelmed with emotion because this whole time I'm thinking my dad's the most selfish person in the world. He doesn't even care about his daughters, his son. But that's how he was showing me love. He was providing for me. Mm-hmm. He was making sure I had a home. He was, his love language is acts of service. It's, and it was hard for me to understand and recognize that because th- those weren't the way I like to receive love, you know? And I felt, I felt this sense of void. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went through my 20s being angry at my dad, being angry at my aunt and uncle, you know, things, 
things that I just didn't understand. And I think more recently talking to Larnie and having these conversations about truly the sacrifices that they've give, given us, like my aunts and uncles are just now telling me their stories in my 30s about them when they were our age and their journey here. Um, my grandma came here when she was in her 60s, I think, went to school to be a CNA, brought all her children here, helped my aunt and uncle, helped his siblings get jobs and cars. And I think in my mind, like, would I be able to do that? Because that is effing, excuse my language, that's really freaking hard. That's, a, well, that's hard to survive. Excuse you the word that you didn't say. <laughs> I was going to say the F word, but I controlled myself there. Um, Thank God. You know, <laughs> um, and I think that my 20s was a lot of healing. Um, my 30s is probably going to be a lot of therapy. <laughs> um, but my 20s was was a lot of <coughs> forgiveness and letting go, mm. even unspoken forgiveness yeah. to my father. Because without him, I wouldn't be here today. You know, I wouldn't be doing the things I love, living this life of freedom of choice you shot our wedding and you you did our engagement photo shoot and like the touch that both of you have is just so like you have a way of making couples feel whoever you're shooting you have a way of making them feel like so special so at ease so comfortable mm, and yes. so valued and yes. i think that's such a gift like it it goes far beyond just the gift of beautiful memories captured in photo mm, um mm, like you have a way of validating people mm. just through your presence that you offer. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, who, who that's do you? That's so nice, You're Austin. welcome. That one's for free, too. <laughs> Dude. Um, um, I think figuring that journey out, figuring that that's the photographer I want to be, took a long time. Um, I think it was a lot of trial and error. It was a lot of um, how can I make somebody feel comfortable in front of the camera? And the answer to that is connecting with them. Um, figuring out their likes, dislikes, um, figuring out who they are as a couple, figuring out who they are as individuals. Um, and I think throughout the years, what I've learned is that, man, I don't want to be racist though. <laughs> Just keep it real. <laughs> um, there were a lot of weddings where I felt devalued, maybe because of the fact that I'm a woman maybe because of the fact that I'm Asian, um, maybe because people don't think my career is a legitimate career. Um, and so there were three weddings that I can think of where I felt that. And I went home and I talked to Larnie about it and I talked to, to my boyfriend at the time about it and I was like, how can I never feel this way again? because I will never walk into a wedding and feel devalued, feel belittled, because truly I felt like I was the person that should be standing in the back. Mm -hmm. It was terrible feeling. I wanted to cry. It didn't feel good. Um, sorry. Can I interrupt? Yes, like just to Just to touch on your comment, you don't want to be racist. Like if, if you can name the race of these couples <laughs> that you felt belittled by. They're, they were white. Yeah, and I don't think that that's... I don't think calling out white supremacy is racist. Like okay. Accountability is... We, like, it is... It's awkward and hard, and we Definitely. don't do... We don't do talking about race well, mm -hmm. um, but we should increase our capacity to, like, to name white supremacy, especially... Yes, I mean, you're right. If microphones Absolutely. weren't on... And definitely, I would say that yeah. real quick. <laughs> no fear there. So this is what we want to get into, yeah. um, because yeah. because this is what more pressing issue can there be than like yeah. racial, um, like in parody? Um, yeah. So yeah, I agree. So we can call it what it is. Okay. So you were, that's you were that's what I'm. I'm calling it out. I'm calling it out. Call them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I will not say names. We want names. No we names. No, no names. names. No. But yeah, tell um, us like tell us some of the things that you heard. Like what made you feel that? What were the microaggressions against you that I felt think pal palatable? Palpable. Palpable. I think it was under, I just don't even, it's hard for, it is, it's a very uncomfortable thing to talk about. Truth, truthfully, it's, it, I am terrible at verbatim examples, but I can tell you how I felt. 
Uh, last year, I was training a second shooter. She's white. Um, and she has, she has one camera. I've got two bodies. She's not dressed for the occasion. I'm dressed for the occasion. I'm in the middle of the aisle. I'm talking to the couple. I'm smiling very at I'm very assertive. And boss lady. Yeah, I'm a boss ass bitch. Let's yeah. be real. Okay, watch Get out. It. <laughs> <laughs> but multiple times, multiple times did everyone approach my first, my second shooter, assuming that she is the lead photographer. It hurts. It stings. Why? Because I'm Asian? Because I'm a brown girl? Is that why? It's hard not to make that assumption yeah. because you feel it. Mm. Even when my second shooter was like, I'm actually not, mm. has already told the officiant that. He still will go to her to mm. ask her questions. She's actually, she wasn't even a second shooter. She was a third, she was an assistant that day. All, all three weddings. And it happened in all three weddings on multiple. Holding days. people accountable can feel like you're attacking them. Like, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not attacking you. I'm, pointing out that yeah. you're doing things that are really hurtful. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to, when we're holding accountable, like addressing the system, right? Like white supremacy is the system that we exist in. And I'm not asking you to speak for all white people, but there is that level of discomfort because there's that's never been addressed. Like you, white people never had to confront their whiteness, you know what I'm saying? And so when you call it out, it does it is something like, oh shoot, you're attacking my personhood, which is not the case. We're addressing the system. Um, but yeah, it's hard to find that balance, I guess. I think maybe what uh, a different way I would try to describe it. I was kind of fumbling to try to find the words. There are few places where I'm reminded that I'm white, but if if I'm to believe Linda, which I totally do, because she's my wife and I love her, and because she's a person, I, I don't need to qualify yeah, 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 why yeah, I believe go, Linda. Keep going. <laughs> I don't need to qualify <laughs> why. <laughs> but Linda tells me that there are plenty of places where she's reminded of her race. Mm -hmm. yes. That's just, I mean, that might seem like a subtle difference, but yeah. it takes energy to be thinking, oh, am do I belong here because I'm a different color than the majority of people in this room? There are few places where I have to think that thought. Even if I am the minority in the room, if if I'm clearly the minority, I might be like, oh, I'm the only white guy in here. Like, just yeah. keep on going my merry way. Oh, it's, and it's crazy because the, I feel like those feelings, sometimes we don't even know that it's about a race. We don't even know that it's a feeling coming from race from an issue of race sometimes i just walk in a room and i just don't feel cool enough you know or popular enough or or you know like as a child or even with children they feel this when i came here from from the philippines i didn't know that that was a thing until i felt it right like Wait, just to clarify, race was a thing? or No, that, that race is really, it's like, okay, we label it, this, this feeling is that there is racial tension. But for children, they don't even, f they don't oh. even know that How that to is. How identify that. Yeah, mm -hmm. they just feel it. Mm -hmm. They just feel that they don't belong. Mm -hmm. They feel that they can never be uh, enough or be a peer to white people. You know, I looked around my community and I said, I am not, I, you know, their circle, I cannot be in that circle. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about race. It just, I was just like, oh, they're cool. I just can't be in their circle. Mm -hmm. I don't dress like them. I don't eat the same food. Mm -hmm. I don't speak the same language. It's just all these things that I just felt did not measure up to their coolness slash whiteness, mm -hmm. right? And so, and now it's like, you know, high school never ended. Sometimes I walk in a room and I'm like, Yo, like, y'all hair is golden, <laughs> and my hair is black. Yeah. It, I was going to say, I think it's like that internalized white supremacy. Yeah. Like, we're not good enough. And I no. I remember in elementary school, my mom would make me nasi goreng, mm. which is fried rice. You know you were drooling over that. Yo, but I didn't <laughs> open my lunch pail mm. because of the smell. smell yeah. And I knew that the white kids would make fun of me, you know, or the American kids, because I, I mean, I grew up in a very uh, diverse elementary school, but mm -hmm. still the idea of my culture, my food was somehow less than. 
the, I was probably the only Filipino Asian in my class. I remember my teacher's name. Her, ma- her name was Mrs. Smith, right? And it was a big deal that these habits that I bought from the Philippines, I just, like, standing up when a visitor comes in the classroom. Mm. All these things. They would make fun of me mm. because I learned, my culture was so different from theirs, mm-hmm. right? And then, and and people would laugh. Kids would point. They would they would call me because I would say things very differently. Like, I remember it was a big deal that I said embrace instead of hug. Mm. And they're like, what is embrace? You know? And I was like, it's an embrace. And they're like, it's a hug. Mm. I don't know. There's just so many instances where I was proud. At one point, there were all these beautiful things that I learned. I was proud of it at one point. And then someone pointed out saying, that's not cool. Mm. And I never did it again because I wanted to belong to the Americans. Mm. You know, I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, and research is showing, uh, like, we're able to put numbers to these experiences that are had, right? That, like, it takes an emotional toll. Like, it takes more, it takes people of color more emotional energy just to make it through the workday because of all the extra thinking you have to do of how do I choose my language to not... Um, not like cause any issues though they may not it may not cause a fight or whatever but it'll, you'll just have to explain yourself or just making sure that you're acting quote unquote professional yeah. quote unquote white right. um, and that at the end of the day the the labor that you have done is not just the work that you've done during the day but there's this emotional toll that is like above and beyond um, which leads to like higher rates of burnout which leads to like shorter careers or higher attrition and at the end of the day you've spent all this energy i was just gonna say um and i'm sure larney has her opinion about this too so i'm just gonna move this over here um just to segue that like that is present in the wedding industry it almost made me feel like even in the beginning that I would never be a wedding photographer. I would never mm-hmm. amount to a successful because I didn't see a lot of Asian women um, in this field. I always thought like, you know, there's different levels. Like, oh, you've made it when you have your own workshop. Or you've made it if people have asked you to speak in a workshop. You've made it. And I, going to workshops, going to any type of push, like furthering my career it was so saturated with white people that I felt uncomfortable. We recently went to workshop um, last year, right, New York, um, and there was an Asian American up there speaking, and I was overwhelmed with emotion that I couldn't even listen to what she was saying because I was like, dude, I can do this, and it Mm. felt really good because most of the time, Austin, I feel so emotionally drained Mm. trying to stand out as an Asian American Mm. that I don't even want to be there. Mm. I mean, it wasn't until day three that I saw her. her name is Sass, amazing wedding mm. photographer. It wasn't until day three that I saw her. So day one, I was already uncomfortable. It was like every single photographer was white. Everyone that was attending was white. And I just felt, and I don't, this is just my experience. I felt so uncomfortable. Um, you know, Larnie was mingling and I kind of sat in the corner and I just didn't feel it. And when I saw Sass, I was like, this is it. I can do this. I can, maybe one day I can be this person standing up here Mm -hmm. sharing my pearls of wisdom and my experience as an Asian American. And like, yeah. Representation is powerful. Oh my gosh. I guess I didn't feel that because I've always been around Asians because that's my comfortability. But as I'm going into the creative world, there's not many of us out Mm. there. So seeing feeling represented was so overwhelmingly emotional. There is that emotional toll that does happen on a daily basis, but guess what? We are strong and we can take it. Mm -hmm. We have done it for the longest time. That emotional toll, it's almost our second job. Mm -hmm. We go to, we we clock in, we also clock in our brownness, Mm -hmm. right? It's tiring. And we need to hold on to our friends and family for those moments so that they can push us back in the ring and be mm-hmm. like, show them what you got. I I'm just want to amplify 
what you said earlier as well, Larni and Jenny, you touched on this. Um, you, you said creating a way for other generations to be freer. Yeah. And I, I think you two in particular will be that representation for brown girls, mm -hmm. for brown industry. people in the wedding industry, mm -hmm. which is a very beautiful thing. And I... And even beyond, like yeah. just as, yeah, yeah as women creatives. of color, like mm -hmm. being creative, like occupying that space. Um, yeah, and I just, I want to thank you guys for, for sharing this perspective. I had no idea, and this is why we're having this podcast, and your intersections matter, and your voice, I hope, I hope young girls and young boys listen to this and, and know that there is space for them, mm -hmm. because you guys, you guys have stepped into those spaces, so. Don't make me cry. <laughs> So one of the questions that we actually wanted to explore, and I think we'll close up here as <laughs> artists and as photographers in particular, how how would you define love now? How oh, do you see love what? operate in your work and in your life, in yourself? Big, I mean, it's you can answer it in so many ways, but yes. Oh my gosh, what has this experience taught I, you about? I don't even know where to start with that. Um, Oh my gosh. You want me to go? No, because I feel like I'm gonna cry right now. Didn't you say cry already? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't wanna cry. Um, I think I've learned, I think for the longest time, I was only after romantic love. I think that I thought that if I found romantic love, that's it. But I think what I've learned in my 20s, going into my 30s, because I'm 30 now, is that loving yourself, loving your friends, loving your family, it's almost like a more fulfilling way to look at life. I felt... Oh my gosh, this is a, such a hard question to answer because it's so deep, 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 deep. Um, I think when you pour love into the relationships, the relationships you have, the friendships you have. Oh my gosh, I feel like <sighs> just let it. Just no, let it, just lean into it. What the lean heck? Into it. Yes. Lean into it. Lean into it. Lean into it. <laughs> just do it. Lean just cry. It. Um. It's hard for me to cry. I know. I it's know. so hard. Especially it's so hard. It's so um, taking the time to love yourself and give love and receive love from your friends um, is the most fulfilling thing that I've felt. Um, not wasting my time looking for romance, but like just pouring into those relationships have left have fulfilled me. Um, and they're not fleeting, mm. you know, and that love is a choice. Mm -hmm. I choose that Larnie is my best friend. I choose to spend time with my nephew. I choose to spend time with my cousins. I choose to love on my friends, to love on you guys. Mm -hmm. And I think that the more I, oh man, gosh, this is so, sorry guys. The more I take time to do that, the more I feel whole. Because you chase, you chase something that's not there or that's, you don't even know if it's going to be there and you're wasting time. And when you choose to just love <laughs> on the people who are here, it's like, it doesn't empty. It's just sustaining. It's fulfilling. It's just so much. It's overwhelming to think about. I'm sorry. I just. Anyways. Nah. Don't say nah. I'm so proud of Jenny for saying yeah. that because I, you know, I know how hard that was for her. Yeah. I think that's just why. I think that's just why. Um. I. Yeah, it's crazy how, and I feel like the um, beautiful thing about love is that there isn't a concrete definition of it. It is, um, 
ch a choice. And choosing to love, even though a person shows you they're ugly, mm -hmm. it to me is the definition of love. Because to me, it feels good to love on someone that is amazing mm -hmm. and perfect and shiny. And yeah, it's so easy. The sun is shining, the birds are chirping. It's easy to, to feel love. But it's hard to choose love when someone is ugly to you. When someone is ugly to the world, it's hard to choose that. But that's why I think love is a choice. It's a verb because you literally have to be. It's like I am going to exercise this even though my inner response is to hate this person for being ugly to me. To me, especially with being 31 and going through the things that I've been through in life, it, like what else is there to do? Everything else is just so tiring. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like my, one of my favorites is from Martin Luther King is that, you know, hate is ha too heavy a burden, mm. you know, and it's just it at the end of the day, if there is no heaven or hell and I just love like I'm good. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, everything else in my belief system could crumble. Mm. But I know that I did that. And, and like, like I, I can die peacefully mm. no matter when, how long. You know, and like, again, that wholeness that Jenny talks about is like, you can take that to the grave because it will never like, like run out, to, you know. To quote Jenny. Yeah. When you choose to love people, it does not empty. Yeah. That's beautiful. Guys, it has been a pleasure. <laughs> um, this is really just an excuse for us to get to hang out with you guys know, and have yeah, conversations so awesome. that we would have been having anyways. We'll end this way. The, the highest, highest in us, us honors the, the highest, highest in you. Let's say it to them. Let's say it to them. Ready? Go. The highest. Come on. <laughs>